This is podcast 196, entitled Cimarron. And the cast begins with uh, that uh, fabulous number, in my opinion, that we've just heard by Duran Duran. And this podcast is dedicated to Christy Walker. It is impossible for me not to dedicate it to Christy because she is the absolute um, ground zero station for 1980s new music. We say, you know, a DJ would say, well, we're now going to go back into the 80s. Well, we're not actually going back into the 80s. We're going to back to you in the 1980s, to Christy Walker, to Paul Zoll, who, whoever it may be. That's what we mean when we say we're going back to the 80s tonight. And um, Duran Duran, uh, this is actually about something, but Duran Duran had an interesting uh, uh, profile in our life. I love their romantic music. I thought it was propulsive, wonderful, and had these great hooks. I was with uh, my friend, may he rest in peace, David Vasquez, uh, getting my hair cut. His uh, brother was Richard Vasquez, is Richard Vasquez, who is such a great friend of our son John's and such a fabulous uh, DJ in uh, southeast Florida. But I was getting my hair cut, and I was saying, um, well, what do you think about Simon Laban? I said to David Vesquez, because I was deeply invested in this, and he was. I think he'd been involved in a well-known rock and roll band himself as a bass player, I think. He said, oh, he said, Simon Le Bon, Simon Le Jerk. And I remember him. He just couldn't stand. He thought it was a polluting influence, this very rhapsodic and high sound of uh, Duran Duran. But the cast is actually about Cimarron. And the real uh, essence of the cast is about uh, critics and about the difference between content and content as understood by critics. And it's really about presuppositions and how our, the premises that we bring to material are so overwhelming that the only possible solution is meditation. You and I bring such enormous presuppositions rooted in our uh, archaeological psychic past and experiences that it is almost impossible for us to see anything as it actually is. Anything. I mean, her, him, it, anything. Because we're bringing enormous um, psychic um, baggage with us, and these are the lenses through which we see everything. And I came upon such a really appalling and extraordinarily enlightening case of uh, premises that determine how one sees something and actually completely prevent you and me from seeing the real thing in relationship to the criticism that surrounds the movie Cimarron that was um, came out in 1931. Now, hang in there with me for a minute because I'm going to come down to you and me and how we ourselves can see things as they are, her as she is, especially him as she is, and this thing, whatever it may be, as it is, because that is the only way to see God. Because when you see reality, you are seeing God. You are seeing the given. You call it providence. Call it whatever you want to call it. You are seeing things as they are, and that's the first step towards understanding the nature of God and truth and you and me. Now, Cimarron was a big Hollywood movie that was released by RKO in 1931, uh, and it won the Academy Award. I think it may have been only the third or fourth um, year of the Oscars. And Cimarron, uh, starring Richard Dix and Irene Dunn, won the Oscar for the Best Picture and other Oscars in 1931. And, quote, critics, end of quote, have been backpedaling almost ever since because they <clears throat> regard it as a not a good uh, movie. But the primary reason they regard it as not a good movie is that uh, within uh, 15 or 20 years, or at least certainly 30 years of its coming out, it was um, seen as hopelessly um, 
um, fraught with racial and ethnic stereotypes. So this is the criticism as it goes. Now, the book is based on uh, – the movie is based on a novel by Edna Ferber, which I have read and love and think very, very highly of. And anyone reading this podcast would do very well to read this short but epic novel with huge resonances about male and female and love and romance and God and even Jesus Christ comes into it. Uh, Edna Ferber was herself Jewish, and um, she had an extraordinary feel in several of her um, – her novels and short stories um, into the heart of religion as it really exists in an ideal and true uh, manner, what it can actually do and what it can't. She saw the bombast and the fustian ridiculousness of so much of American religion because she wrote about sort of big American landscapes against a, a multi-generational drama. But she also saw how religion was ultimately rooted in something deep and important. Uh, and she uh, rooted this and anchored it ultimately in the nature of love between men and women, which is extremely telling and very devastating, and she became very famous. Anyway, her novel, Cimarron, which I think came out in 1929, was made into a high-budget movie, and the movie uh, is uh, a picture pitch-perfect, letter-perfect, literal rendition of the novel. With a few elisions, there is nothing in the novel that is key with a few elisions that is left out in the movie. Now, people seeing this today completely misunderstand what that movie is about. Now, first, I want to say this. One of the problems with people who love movies, what are now regarded as movie geeks or movie nerds, but I, I completely reject the, the word, the use, the current use of the word nerd or geek. I'm not a nerd. I'm not a geek. I never was thought to be one. I do not conceive of myself as one. To me, it's a negative title, but I do love movies. Um, you'll have to judge whether I'm right about my own self-designation, but I certainly never regarded I regarded this as strictly mainstream and cool. And um, the... Um, People who write the innumerable blogs on uh, movies, and some of them are very good. I recommend D DVD Savant by Glenn Erickson and also Gary Tooze's DVD Beaver, although I disagree with each of them in certain interpretations. That's not important. Uh, they are both very thorough and often anchored in the content rather than the form. Now, uh, the problem with so many reviewers, however, is that they don't read the novels, and they somehow seem to think, ever since the French invented the so-called auteur theory, which is very, very fragile, it's not a, a theory that is actually holds water in a great many cases. It's true in some cases, but in a great many cases it's not, because movies are a cooperative enterprise, just like running a church is, although it usually goes down to one defining personality, like Edna Ferber. <clears throat> now... They don't read the literary sources of the movies. They will review Giant, directed by George Stevens, and not read the Edna Ferber novel. They'll read, um, they'll look at Cimarron, but they won't read the novel, and they won't read that really everything you see in the movie Cimarron, which was remade, by the way, in 1960, this uh, great <coughs> movie um, is anchored and rooted completely in the text that Edna Ferber delivered. Right down to the to every detail. I mean, they're tiny, minor, minor points, and some gender critics go too far in uh, exaggerating the minor points, and there are a few. But essentially, Cimarron, that was made as a movie in '31, is exactly the novel, just put on a in a film and very well done. Now, um, that's true in any number of uh, of movies. You see, everybody will make a big thing about it, but if you actually go back and read the um, the novel, it turns out that the movie is just the novel, uh, often very well illustrated. 
and animated, you might say. So um, a first thing is you read the written sources upon which Richard III is based with Laurence Olivier. Read the sources. Um, but the second thing is, and this is more important to this cast, is we have these incredible um, um, uh, presuppositions. For example, people seeing Cimarron, they see it as racial stereotyping because, and anti-women, <laughs> I can see that, I just don't know. Um, they will say, well, um, the uh, Indians are treated as uh, sort of other and very bad things are said about them by one of the main characters. They will say that um, that uh, uh, why should the man, Yancey Cravat, uh, get the statue uh, honoring at the end, um, the Ehrung, as the Germans say, whereas she is actually behind the power that he's had. True, but I'll go back to that. They'll say that the stereotyping of the uh, African-American uh, servant Isaiah is... Um, is uh, awful, and yet they haven't read the book because uh, it is his uh, relationship with an, a young Indian girl that uh, creates an astonishing and tragic ending that the movie actually had to soften. And he's uh, a person of enormous character, as it turns out. Um, uh, they will say that the character Saul Levy is um, uh, is that's an anti-Semitic stereotype. In fact, the movie has a totally different view. Uh, remember, Edna Ferber was Jewish. And uh, her uh, understanding of who Saul Levy is, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, they'll uh, talk about um, all sorts of gender roles and this, that, and the other thing. And the actual fact of the matter is that Edna Ferber's novel Cimarron and the movie Cimarron, directed by Wesley Ruggles and released in 1931, which won the Oscar, is a profoundly liberal in the true sense movie. It is a profoundly liberal movie. Oh, I haven't even mentioned the fact. Well, I'll mention that in just a minute. Um, it is, is as liberal in the uh, sort of... Um, Come on, people now, let's get together, everybody. Let's love one another right now. It is totally inclusive. Talk about radical hospitality. It is the very birth, rooted, I might add, in a highly and deeply Christian view of life uh, on the part of the hero, Yancey Kravat, that causes all the minority voices not only to be embraced, but to be embraced in a um, 19, uh, 2015 sense, to wit, the um, son of the hero and the wife, um, Cimarron Cravat, marries a full-blooded Indian, which is considered miscegenation in the standards of the time. And she is a full-blooded Osage Indian, and they have children, and they are introduced to a huge uh, assemblage of Republican and Democratic leaders and senators in Oklahoma when the movie concludes in 1929, and they are completely blessed. Their union is totally blessed. Yancey Cravat is, goes down in history as the man who most defended Indian rights and Indian citizenship, um, Native American citizenship, such that his prophetic editorial, he writes 30 years before the movie winds up, is put on the front page of the 40th year anniversary of the Osage Wigwam. This now become a major regional newspaper, and uh, everyone now accepts uh, Yancey Cravat's profound affinity with and for the Cherokee and the Osage Indian nations. And that theme of inclusion is so, is, is expressed in 
the uh, interracial couple at the end of the movie. This was written, by the way, in 1929. Uh, Saul Levy, who begins as a traveling peddler, which um, this is how many uh, immigrating uh, Jewish uh, young men began when they came to this country in the 1850s and 60s. I simply happen to know that. Uh, You'll see the theme again repeated time and again in uh, Irvin S. Cobb's short stories. And uh, he starts out as a traveling uh, kind of seller of notions on his donkey and gradually works his way up through sheer hard work and uh, good uh, business practice and opportunity and persistence and and finally character, real character. Uh, He ends up opening a department store and becoming uh, one of the leading uh, citizens, to say the least, of uh, the the, uh, town of Osage, Oklahoma. He and he becomes the great friend, and he is seen as a Christ figure, uh, specifically when he's being abused by some cowboys at the beginning of the novel and the movie. He is directly seen in Yancey Cravat's eyes as a figure of Jesus Christ being uh, the innocent suffering, and he is rescued by Yancey. And later on in the uh, in the movie, uh, twice he is uh, given the uh, uh, visualization of a distinct Christ figure. Once when Yancey trying to defend a Mary Magdalene uh, a brothel keeper named Dixie Lee uh, quotes Christ and the movie dwells, uh, the camera dwells very very lovingly and at length on the Christ-like face of Saul Levy so that's what is uh, if that's a racial stereotype then bring them on. Uh, If the Indians are racially stereotyped, bring them on in the movie Isaiah the uh, black uh, stereotyped young man uh, gives his life uh, to save the uh, interracial couple who are little children at the time and is brought in in an astonishing movie of what is today called radical hospitality. But remember, people who say that never mean it. I mean, they only mean radical hospitality as regards the people that they regard as being worthy of their radical hospitality. The day they um, are radically hospitable towards someone who is uh, on the right of uh, theology or of life will be the day that there is a huge marshmallow roast somewhere, and I look forward to that day, at least hearing about it. Uh, But um, it is here we have a real symbol of radical hospitality, because when the dead Isaiah is brought in, cradled in the arms, first of Saul Levy, the the Jewish uh, character who brings in the dead uh, African-American boy, who is then cradled in the arms of Yancey Kravitz, the great white hope, you might say, of the thing. And then uh, with the wife, who's quite pharisaical, uh, so moved to see this, and uh, the way the Indian servant is standing in the back, who ultimately marries the son. I mean, it is a pieta of the highest order, and was meant that way. It was clearly meant that way, because the photography, the image, like Hitchcock and Topaz when he did a Pieta in Cuba uh, in that espionage movie. It's so powerful. Well, but that was from a novel too, by the way, Topaz. Now, um, I'm trying to say that when you read what people say about Cimarron, that they can't see it, they can't watch it, they become infuriated at the racial stereotypes, they're not seeing it. Because the entire movie is developed towards the idea of bringing in the Indians with full citizenship and participation, to say the least, the Native Americans, and also by way of uh, sexuality and marriage and having children with them. And the African-American figure is uh, a Christ figure, and the Saul Levy uh, Levy, um, wins the day in every conceivable way, even the Biddy, the self-righteous Biddy, who's been so uh, clearly exclusive of Jews in her uh, self-understanding, comes up to him 
then in the profoundest sense says she's sorry for the way she treated him. It's implied, but it's actually stated. And uh, the woman figure, who is supposedly in the shadow of Yancey, uh, Sabra Cravat, she ends up becoming the first ever female uh, member of Congress to be sent to the U.S. House of Representatives by the state of Oklahoma. And all of the men of the community and the state sit at her feet and laud her for her great achievement. And she becomes editorially the most powerful woman in the entire uh, state of Oklahoma. So what is going on here that these people completely amiss? Well, it just shows you that, look, you make sure that you don't do it, but you probably do. We all do it. We bring huge presuppositions. And when you get sort of softened up by life, which I think Mary and I, whether we liked it or not, sort of were, we go back to a movie that we would have seen in negative terms years ago, uh, Cimarron, and we are absolutely, our jaw drops at the redemptive, familial, universal vision of a house for all sinners and saints. If there was ever a picture in the 1930s of what Nadia Boltz Weber conceives that she is doing in Denver and what Mockingbird conceives that it is doing out of Charlottesville and what any number of outstanding people such as Jacob Smith and Melina Smith in New York City and there are others, but not many. If there were a picture that you could possibly snatch out of the depression from Hollywood movies that exemplifies everything that we at our heart in Christianity as religion of mercy and grace and love for all beyond any conceivable external manifestations of being, well, that movie would be it. I leave it with you see the movie, beware of it yourself, and note that uh, we don't know anything. Um, And yet occasionally something comes along that has a great deal of power to instruct. Thank you very much. God bless. And here's Chrissy Hind.